Mark chapter 3. Well, let us give our attention uh, to God's perfect word. Mark chapter 3. Again, he being Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, being the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for what you taught us last week and what you're about to teach us this week through this passage. Lord, do good in my soul and in theirs. Use my lips, carry them by your Holy Spirit. And I pray for their ears and their hearts that by that your same Holy Spirit that you would help them receive your word by faith in the name of Christ, amen. Amen. I don't know if you're a to-do list person. Are you a to-do list person? I'm definitely a to-do list person. I love them. I just like making them, but I have, a, I have a problem. I don't know if you guys experienced this. Basically, my entire adult life, I've had problems with my to-do list. They just keep getting bigger. They get bigger faster than they get shorter. I don't know if any of you have this problem. Now, if you read, um, most of the time management gurus will give you this advice. I've read many of them. I don't know if you have. Many of them will say, here's your problem. To-do list, it's a good thing. What you also need is to block schedule your calendar. What you need to do is take your most important task, the really important, particularly the big ones, and you need to like block out time to do them, right? Don't just have a to-do list, have a calendar and block time out. Hey, free advice, to the extent I do it, it helps me. I don't always do it. Think about this, related to that, companies know this. And so I don't know if you've worked for a company, I'm sure you've seen it, where companies will have like a day where it's like company service day. And all their employees will go into the community and they'll clean up a park or they'll work in a soup kitchen, right? They'll do something, right? And it's, it's real easy. Like the boss says, hey, all of you are going to do this today. And so everyone says, yes, sir. And they all do that, right? And very easy because their time was already committed nine to five to be at work. And then the boss said, today, we're all going to do this, right? Make sense? Now, what about God? God, has he, has he given you a to-do list? Have you read this book? <laughs> right? There's things in here it says to do. It says don't do other things, do these things. Now, is it the same thing that I've had with my whole life, but, th- but the problem, hey, God, that's nice, but I, I don't have any time to do these things. Has God, like the company, blocked out any time on your calendar and said, hey, today we're going to do this? Well, the answer is yes, right? He's actually done it every week. It's called the Lord's Day. 
Remember he said, I've created six days for you to do all your work. You decide how you spend those. But one day, it belongs to me. Remember last week we talked about this? And he said, if you didn't hear it, go back. It's online. It's an important piece for this part to make sense. Anyway, here's a brief summary. He said, hey, I'm Lord of the Lord's Day. Remember that? He said, hey, this belongs to me. Right? He's, he, he likes to do that. If you've been a Christian long, you're very familiar with this process. He likes to go into all kinds of corners, all kinds of closets, and be like, hey, that belongs to me, and we're going to clean it up. You say, yes, sir, and you get to it, and it's great, isn't it? it but it's painful. I mean, cleaning is painful. <clears throat> Sanctification is even more painful to deal with our deep-rooted sin. I got deep-rooted sin, so do you. It's a pain, right? He does that, and he does that with the Lord's Day. And so hopefully last week actually cleared some clutter from your calendar on Sundays, right? You looked at it. We talked about acts of necessity, and you thought about, is this really an act of necessity? No, really, this could wait for another day, right? And so hopefully it cleared some things out. That's why you need to go back and listen to it, right? But the question, the natural response to that is, okay, I cleared my calendar, God. You said it belongs to you. What in the world do I do with it now? I have this 24 hours every seven, every seven days, and so this this passage helps us know something to fill it with, okay? Look at, on page seven at the outline. What is God's vision for the Lord's day? What vision does Jesus cast for the Lord's day? First, do acts of mercy on the Lord's day. Second, don't harden your hearts on the Lord's day. And then third, long for the Lord on the Lord's day. Um, here's one warning. Um, basically, most of this sermon is going to be point one. <laughs> and then point two and point three are quite small, just to just so you know, they are not evenly spaced. All right, look back at verse 2 to 4. So at first point, do acts of mercy on the Lord's day. So what's our scene here? Jesus, it's the Lord's day, or then it's the Sabbath. He goes into the, and, um, the tabernacle, or the synagogue, right? And there's this guy with a withered hand. And this is crazy. The Pharisees see this, and they're watching him to see if he's going to heal him right? And then Jesus, he does not, he's not afraid of a conflict, right? He just walks right into it and says, hey, come here. And then he, he, he looks straight at them in the eye and says, is it lawful to do good or do evil, to save life or kill it? He, just, he goes straight at them. We'll look more at the Pharisees part. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus is giving us a category. In addition, last week was acts of necessity. This week, Jesus adds a category of acts of mercy, what he was doing was merciful. Is it legitimate to show mercy on the Lord's day? Absolutely. And Jesus in this passage gives us that. But here's the problem. See, most people, when they think about the Lord's day, they're way more interested in talking about acts of necessity, right? You know what? Let me give you an explanation why this is, re I really have to do this today, right? Because that mainly benefits who? Them, right? right? My, my act, this is essential for me. I can't live without this on the Lord's day, right? But acts of mercy, who does that primarily benefit? Someone else, right? And so people don't spend nearly as much time debating about that. Make sense? They want to talk about this because this is what I want to do. And this is, we're just naturally selfish. I have the same condition you do. We naturally look at things this way. And so this passage helps us get out of that and look out. Jesus said in uh, Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We know that's true in theory. Remember last week we talked about um, our secular uh, paradigm for the week. Remember that? Five and two? Just survive five days. And then you get two glorious days off to do whatever you want. That's the world you live in, right? But what, did the, what was the paradigm from Scripture? Remember that? From fourth commandment we read it last week, it's six and one. 
six days, and then one day that belongs to God. So it makes sense. This is where the rub is. That our culture, we grew up every, always being told, just make it through five, get through school, get through Friday, and then you get two days to do whatever you want. And scripture says there's six days. You also have a lawn to do, right? And a house to take care of. So for five days, we work usually outside the home. Usually we don't have our own businesses, like, you know, an agricultural society. And so then we come home on Saturday and we have to take care of the house, right? And so then there's still the Lord's day. It's the day that belongs to him. Okay, so is there, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've been a while, if you've been here for a while, we looked at Esther, remember? You're here for such a time as this. Remember that? We talked about divine appointments. God makes them for you all the time. We all have them where we run into people and God intends that we do something in their lives in that moment, right? And so the challenge is, if you're not accustomed to this, you, you live a really full life, most of us do, and so then what's helpful is, remember that, that to-do list thing, God has blocked out a day, and if you're struggling to ever do the things that God commands you to do, this is a day to do them, right? So you have mercy on someone. You say, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. You see the neighbor, you know that they're a widow, you know that they could probably use help, and so now you have a day you could actually do that. So this is a help. Do acts of mercy on the Lord's day. One of our instincts, this, one, one, this is one of the Ten Commandments. This fall, we're going to look at the rest of them. Kids, you're going to learn them. It's going to be fun. But our instinct with commands is to look at the negative side. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And we focus on the don'ts. But for every don't, there's an implication of a do. Right? So to do not murder, the implication of that is you must preserve life. Right? And so all of that. It's the same with this. So with this command, we easily focus on what am I not allowed to do on Sunday? Rather than, what does God call me to do? What does God call me to do? And so, how do we practically apply this? Of course, if a tree falls on your neighbor's house on Sunday afternoon, completely legitimate, right? Is that work? Yes. Run a chainsaw doing that, but it's an act of mercy. You're helping someone else. But I doubt that's going to happen every week, right? So, are there other acts of mercy that you can do more regularly? There is. There's actually one you could do every week if you wanted to. And it's really cool because it's a two-for-one deal. Let me explain this. So in the early church, they already started this. It's called hospitality. But see, the problem with that is, as soon as I say that word, you already have a picture in your head of like fancy doilies and like, I can't even say the word, uh, charcuterie, charcuterie board. (laughs) I think I got that right. It's a fancy cheese board. Right? Is there anything wrong with those? No. They're great. And for special occasions, some of you have china. All that's great. But the reality is that that is really impractical to do on any regularity. Think about this. What do your neighbors, or even the people sitting around you, what is their greatest need? We live in a very affluent society, and even this community is very affluent. Right? The price point to get in any neighborhood, anywhere around here, is at a certain point, right? And so most of your neighbors don't need, like, a lot of physical things, right? What is, what is their greatest need? For many of them, it's friendship. Many of them have no one that ever listens to them. Many of them are really struggling. And even the people around you right now, on Sunday morning, the people sitting around you are struggling. It's true. And many of them don't have people that listen to them a lot. This is a fantastic way to make use of your Lord's Day is by spending time with other believers. I want to see a show of hands. Who here really likes cleaning their house? Just loves it. I didn't see a single hand go up. 
Okay, one. All right, we got one. The rest of you, like me, don't enjoy it. So, why in the world would you clean your house spotlessly to have people over on Sunday? There's another alternative is, you know, you don't have to. Right? So, who, who do you know well enough? Who do you not care to clean the house for? Think for a second. Who's on your list of people that you would not, you would just say, come on over. I'm not going to clean it. Okay, your spouse, hopefully. Your children. Your close friends. Right? How do you know that someone, you're really someone's close friend? It's actually that they just say, come on over. Like, you can just step into my mesh, just step over it. Right? Your house looks like their house. And you just kind of let them in. Well, now this is getting a little more manageable, isn't it? This you could probably do and still be restful, right? And you don't need fancy food. Is their greatest need a fancy meal? No. They just go to a restaurant for that. What they need is a friend. You can give them hot dogs and tacos and frozen pizza. Just stick in the oven first, (laughs) right? And they don't need fancy stuff. What they need is love. And this is an act of mercy. This is an act of mercy you could do very regularly. You know, one of our core values as church is real friendships. When we say that, what we mean is that we would be able to be authentic and vulnerable with each other and love each other and be a part of each other's lives. We really want to see that happen. How in the world are we going to accomplish that? We're going to have to spend time together. We're going to have to get to know each other. And so our vision is, is that this would be the DNA of our church, that regularly people would be in each other's homes. And I mentioned the early church. This is what they did in the early church. Let me read to you Acts 2, 42. It says this, and day by day, attending the temple together, so they worship together, you, you guys do that, breaking bread in their homes. They shared their meals. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Like that is our hope. And you know, what would be cool is if this happens, if, you, if a lot of people get a vision for this, you're going to be on the giving end sometimes and sometimes on the receiving end. Many of you have been in someone else's home in this church, Right? that we spend time together. And in that, we are giving mercy. And you say, I have no time for that. I got good news for you. If you listened to last week's sermons and you paid attention, it should have cleared up some stuff, right? That God has given us time. Now, I want to talk to the grandparents for a moment. If you're a grandparent, how do you feel when all of your children and grandchildren are in the same place and they're having a great time together? Doesn't it just warm your heart? Isn't it a nice thing? When they're all together, right? Jesus and God feels the exact same way. When his children are together and they're enjoying each other's fellowship, we know this in in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, right before the cross, he says that they would be one. He wanted his people to be unified. And you're going to have to be together to do that. You're not going to just all sit there staring at me and somehow get to know each other and love each other, right? That's what the rest of the day is for, right? That we can be together in each other's homes and you don't have to clean up. You don't have to make it fancy, You just love each other. There's this great book this past week. I was reading some of it. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It says, practicing radical, ordinary hospitality. Interesting term. She coins this. This is um, Rosaria Butterfield. She was a huge advocate. She was a a lesbian and a um, big university professor. And God got a hold of this woman. And she's now a pastor's wife. And her life is turned upside down. She wrote a first book about her, that whole experience. And you know what won her over? Was the hospitality of this little small church pastor who just loved on her. And she couldn't reject that. She couldn't do anything with that. And it finally just warmed and softened her heart. 
There's amazing stories. Anyway, in this book, she talks about her practice of radically doing ordinary things of hospitality. So it's, it's radically, I mean, it's very different than what we expect. It's ordinary. It's just every day. And she just, the people on her street, she just inviting her home when bad things happen, when the meth dealer got busted across the street. Every, he, he had been in her home many times. Everyone on the street just came. Her yard was the place that they just figured out what to do with all this. And she just had people in and out of her house. And it, it's really neat just seeing a picture of it. It's just very ordinary. It's not fancy. She wasn't impressing anyone. But she just loved the people around her. And it really, really has an impact. Anyone who's had a friend who's let you in their home, you know that. So if you're looking for something to do on a Sunday afternoon, you could read this book. It's really good. Easy to find on Amazon. The gospel comes with a house key. It was done in the early church. It's still done today. It makes such a difference. Here's this great verse that I really like. It's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Listen to this. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That day it's talking about is Jesus coming back. So Jesus coming back, as you see that day approaching, every day we're getting a day closer to it, that we should be meeting together. You're doing that now, and we can, we, you've got the rest of the day, right? It belongs to the Lord, and he wants people to be together, right? We don't have an evening service. Some churches solve that by doing that. Another solution is you guys can just hang out together, Right? But it's still that on the Lord's Day we're putting him first. Is a Sunday afternoon nap legitimate? Absolutely. Is just spending time alone with your nuclear family? Absolutely. But the reality is most of you live somewhat isolated lives the other six days of the week. Your schedules make it really hard to get anyone into that fast-moving machine. Right? And so God has given you one day to say, stop. I mean, that's a short version of the, the fourth commandment, isn't it? Stop. For one day... And then you have time and you can slow down and not be so isolated. It's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. Okay, so speaking of soft hearts, that brings us to our second point. As I said, more uh, short than the first, don't harden your hearts on the Lord's day, right? So Jesus goes toe-to-toe with these guys and does this act of mercy. But how do the Pharisees respond? Well, first you see his obvious question Question four, I don't know, kids, have your parents ever asked you a very obvious question? Should you hit your brother? You know the right answer. This is not a hard question, right? He says, should we do good or harm? Save life or kill it? And they are silent. Their hearts are so hard that they just stare at him. That was not a hard question, Pharisees. And they just stare at him. They are so, remember last week, right? The fourth commandment, and then they built this like barbed wire fence and like the moat and the brick wall. They have all these layers of rules and they're saying, you're breaking our rules. You can't, you can't heal this guy. That's work. You're breaking, you're messing up our system. And look how Jesus responds. He gets angry. This is righteous anger. He just sees what they, these are the religious leaders for crying out loud. And their hearts are so hard. They can't even delight that this man could heal this man, that Jesus could heal the guy. Their hardness of heart. He was grieved at it, sad and angry in a righteous way. You know, this is, this is where they're at. You know, they had perverted the whole system. Talk about empty religious rituals. This was two weeks ago. We talked about that. They're so wrapped around the axle about their, about their rules. How do we apply this to ourselves? 
Remember two weeks ago we talked to, or last week we talked about guardrails, right? On the bridge, you don't go off the other side with legalism or neglecting the day. Remember we, we talked about that? And um, the, these guys are going off which side? The legalism side, right? I think many of us, if we're going to err on a side, it's probably more likely the neglecting side. And so what does it look like to harden your heart? Actually, there's a very simple way. This is going to be uncomfortable, but it's true. Many of you were here last week. What did you do with last week? Right? Do you remember? We looked at this. Did anyone actually talk about their use of the Lord's Day? If you're new, you're off the hook. Right? But think about that. Here's how we, remember last week I gave you a tip on how to listen to a sermon. I'm going to give you another one. Last week was compare me to the word of God and hold on as long as it's consistent. Right? That was last week. This week, here's your tip. What is the tip? Let me remember. It was important. And it'll come to me in a second. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, here's your tip. And it's ironic. You'll laugh in a second. So it's that you can only remember something for so long. <laughs> so <laughs> the reality is when you hear a sermon, you have about that long to apply it. And it's gone. You're off to something else. And so the, the key thing is, is to make use of it. If you don't make use of it, it's immediately going to be gone. And there's a big danger to this. And so I, I do want to warn you, there are people that listen to sermon week after week, and they do this for years, and they never apply them. It's just, that was a nice sermon. And they hear another one next week, and another one next week. And they just get used to this rhythm of just, I hear things, and I do nothing with them. Here's the problem. What, what's happening in that is I'm actually building up judgment over your heads, if that's the case. Because you will be held accountable for everything you hear. And so if you sit in church for year after year hearing things and you do nothing with them, then it's actually, you'll be held accountable for that. And I do not want to do that. I'm not doing you any favors. And so please, sermons, you have to do something with them quickly. This is one of the reasons our missional communities, when they start back up in the fall, we talk about the sermon. You get a second chance. You're getting a second chance right now. This passage just happens to be on the same topic that last week's passage was on. And so this afternoon, I again recommend talk about your use of Sundays, right? What are we doing with this day? Is it full with stuff that it shouldn't be full of? Do not harden your heart. The Lord absolutely sees. I don't see, but the Lord does. And my, my heart is to be a blessing to you, not bring greater judgment on you. You, you see this in children, right? That you say something to them and their, their face just gets hard. And you're like, they are not going to obey what I just said. Have you ever seen that in your kids? I definitely see it. When they're much younger, when they're real little, right? And they're just, you know, just grit their face and you know, that's not going to happen, right? And so that, that's not, or we don't want to be like that, right? We want to soften our hearts. So when we receive God giving us instruction as he is in this word, that we would do something with it. So is there an alternative, this is going to be our third point, to hardening our heart? Long for the Lord on the Lord's day. Okay, so we talked about the Pharisees. How do the rest of the Jews respond? Look at the, that next section, starting in verse 7. And kids, you're going to need your fingers. We're going to count something in a second. Okay, so Jesus withdraws from his disciples to the sea. All right, now kids, I want you to count cities and towns, Okay. Cities and towns. And tell me how many cities and towns that are mentioned. All right, here we go. Verse 7. And a great crowd followed from Galilee 
and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and from Sidon. Hold up your hands, kids. How many do we have? Uh, Close. Yep, you're right. Seven. Seven. Now, why in the world does Mark take the time? He doesn't spend a lot of time on many things. He lists out seven different towns. I think part of it is you have the Pharisees who are running to go condemn Jesus, and then everyone else, you have people from all over the place. Seven towns are mentioned. They're coming, and it's so much so, look at, if you look at the next verse, that Jesus says, hey, get a boat so I don't get crushed by these crowds. And this is a wild scene. Just imagine the scene. He's healing all these people. These people delight in the Lord. When they see mercy, they want more of it. And they want to see it. They want to follow this man, right? Whereas the Pharisees, they don't respond that way. So now, that is the way. As, as you, you've encountered the Lord, we do each week, particularly in the Gospel of Mark. It's through the whole Bible, especially the Gospels, right? It's walking through his life. And so as you encounter him, our natural desire should be, is I want to be near Jesus, I want to go find, if Jesus came to Charleston, right? I'd want to go be there. I want to be in that crowd. Or anytime I didn't have to do something else, I'd want to be with him. And that's what the Lord's day is, right? That you have to do other stuff. Please do mow your lawn. <laughs> Please do take care of your work all, during the other six days. But for one day, you get to actually, remember last week we used date night illustration, right? That on your date night, there's a bunch of things you don't do, but you make sure to take your spouse with you, right? Or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend on date night. And so also the Lord's day is like a day with the Lord, that we have a day that we get to spend time with him. And we should long for him. And we say, oh, this is wild. Look at the next verses. Now we get to the demons. How do the demons respond? This is wild. Look at this, verse 11. They fell down before him and they cry out, you are the son of God. It said they cried out. That's probably what it sounded like. They cried out. You are the son of God. Okay, let's just contrast this for a moment. You have the religious leaders. Now, what is their main job in the world? But they're supposed to be watching for the Messiah. And when they come, they probably should announce it, roll out a red carpet, and tell everybody. No, they're going to plot to kill him. And you have the demons for crying out loud. And they're the ones that get his identity correct. They're the ones crying out. This is crazy, isn't it? That is sad irony that the demons. Now, of course, they hate God too. But at least they got his identity, right? The religious leaders didn't even get that. And so you have this contrast here. Indeed, he was the son of God. He's here with us this morning. He's here with us this morning. He's here with us all the time. And sometimes he tells us, slow down and enjoy him. I don't want you, in conclusion, I don't want you to miss out on divinely appointed acts of mercy. I mean, think about the difference this could make in your life. If like God did something in 52 days out of your year, and even just a percent of you guys, it would significantly have an impact. That verse that I was reading to you about how they were in each other's homes, the end of it said that God increased their numbers day by day. The church grew because they were spending time together and loving each other and doing that with their neighbors and friends. The next thing you know, the church was growing. You want to see us live on mission and see the church grow? This is a great way to do it. And it's not nearly as scary as a lot of other things. Just let people in your messy house and give them a hot dog and listen to them and listen to them. It is a true act of mercy. It's something that all of us can do. 
God, remember last week we talked about God wants to be in, in each room of our house. He says, I have great plans for your Sundays, better plans than you could ever make. You have this spiritual to-do list and you, you feel guilt over, I have no time to do half of these things. I don't have time to show mercy or do these things, spend time with the Lord. I, my weeks are just crazy. And the Lord says, I have a gift for you. I have a day, it's called the Lord's Day. And so your companies might do that. They might set aside a day and, and you should show up. Think about if you like scheduled meetings during that. Hey, we're gonna have a team meeting. During that, your boss would get after you. Like, no, you aren't scheduling meetings. We're gonna be out in the community, right? You don't schedule over top and that's just your boss, right? This is God, and remember he's coming back. Like, wouldn't it be weird if like, what if he came back on a Sunday? Think about that. What if Jesus comes back on a Sunday and he finds us sitting at the lake? He finds us on vacation on the beach. He finds us doing four million other things, right? Or he finds us just spending every Sunday just selfishly on ourselves. Then wouldn't that be weird? Like we're going to spend eternity with him and he comes back and we're like, remember this? He, he, I'm not making it. This wasn't just my idea. He told parables about this. He said, like a thief in the night, I'll come back. Be waiting for me. Be ready. Don't be like the ones who fell asleep who didn't have enough oil. Right? And so our understanding of the Lord's day is that this is a time that is a little piece of heaven. We talked about it last week. And God wants us to make good use of it and enjoy it. And so when he comes back, whether it's Sunday or Tuesday or whenever, that we are ready for his arrival because week after week, we have longed for him on our Sundays. This is as real as it gets. You know, this, these two weeks could feel like, wow, that was a high bar for, for Sabbath, huh? But I just want for a moment to think about Jesus. It'll really encourage you. So Jesus, what did this act of mercy cost him? He, he, what, you know, did he have to pay like to heal the to withered hand? Or maybe he had to do like some spell or something, you know, had to mix some stuff to heal the guy. What happened immediately after that? What happened right after that? I mean, Jesus knew what was going on. He's not a foolish man. He, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, and he just goes toe to toe with them. And then right after that, what do they do? That is the moment they begin to plot his execution. Jesus knew that showing mercy to this guy on the Lord's day would end up costing him his life. He would go on doing that. He would go on doing things the rest of his ministry, those three years, that led to his execution because he loved people. But the greatest of all was he actually went to the cross because, see, it was a, it was a, they thought they were getting him, but he was actually dying for you. Right, his mercy, he has shown us unbelievable mercy. So it is a high bar. I've been honest, I've told you what scripture says about the Lord's day, both acts of necessity, what you shouldn't be doing and things that we should be doing, acts of mercy. But understand that it is nothing compared to the mercy at a cost that is unimaginable that Jesus showed us. That is the foundation of all, this is the motivation, right, for all of this is that Jesus died for us. I close as the same way I closed last week. Look in your bulletin. It's on page seven. It's Isaiah 58. I think this is probably the best verse on the Lord's day. And just think about it. Let it sink into our hearts. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasures on my holy day, it's his holy day. He claimed, he said, I'm Lord of it. And call the Sabbath a delight. Oh, there would be a delight. It was made for you. You were not made for it as in our passage last week. And the holy day of the Lord, honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talking idly, then you will take delight in the Lord. You want your relationship to God to grow. Spend time with him. 
Lord's Day after Lord's Day. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord, you have indeed spoken. And Lord, I've done my best to honestly lay before them what your word both requires, what it prohibits, what it commands, acts of mercy, how we are to be delighting in each other. And Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. I can't soften hearts. Best I can do is just preach, but you can. Holy Spirit, do that work in my own heart, in my own house. Lord, that you would do this in all of our homes and that five years from now, part of the DNA of our church would continue to grow. It's already, I see it many times, it's neat, of just people being in each other's homes in just casual hospitality, spending time together, listening to each other, rejoicing, crying, praying together. Lord, I pray that that would really become the DNA and that that would be what grows this church as we just love people around us in church and outside the church who so need it. Lord, only you could accomplish this, but I think you want to because I see it in Scripture. So Lord, I pray that you would. With the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.